This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Refugees have been in the news a lot lately, and you have a lot of questions about them. We answered some of those when we spoke with the state's refugee coordinator. She joined us just after President Trump ordered a temporary halt on refugees. Courts have so far blocked that. But your questions keep coming in. Let's answer them now with CPR reporter Nathaniel Miner. Welcome back to the program. Hey, Ryan. And let's start with where Colorado's refugees come from. Well, it's really changed over the years. I got some data from the state going back to 1980. And back then, through the early 1990s, there were a lot of people coming from Vietnam and other southeastern Asian countries. There was a big push to welcome people after the war ended there in the 1970s. And thousands of Vietnamese settled in Colorado in that period. That's why we have so many great pho places along Federal (laughs) Boulevard in Denver. Pho, the Vietnamese noodle soup. Where else have people come from? Uh, The refugee population has really reflected turmoil around the world. Uh, There was a big spike in Russian refugees in the 1990s as the Soviet Union crumbled. More recently, it's been a mix. Iraqi, Somali, Burmese, and even Bhutanese. And how many people are we talking about here? That can vary from year to year, but in the last 15 years or so, anywhere from 1,000 to 2,500 per year have come to Colorado. Okay, those numbers, Colorado-specific, 1,000 to about 2,500. One question we got, do refugees ever return to their native countries? The state refugee coordinator, Kit Tainter, says that hardly ever happens. Uh, Many have left war zones to come here. Some might relocate within the U.S., maybe to be closer to family or for work, but the majority stay put. We know that most refugees become citizens. Um, They haven't been citizens for years and decades and maybe even their entire lifetime. So that's something that we really find that refugees want um, to be part of something and to be part of a country. Interesting. There are refugees who have never belonged to any nation in their lives. How much money does the state of Colorado spend on refugee services? Not a dime. None. No state money. No, nothing. Okay. Uh, most of the money comes from services, or most of the money for services, excuse me, comes from two federal agencies, the Department of State and the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is under the uh, Health and Human Services Department. Again, federal. And how much money are we talking about from the feds? That's kind of hard to pin down. Uh, Tainter says there are multiple funding sources that go to a number of nonprofits. Colorado receives about $5 million a year from the Federal Office of Refugee Resettlement for direct services. $5 million. The State Department told me that it doesn't break down its funding by state. Uh, nationally, Tainter says the money spent on refugee resettlement is very small, less than a hundredth of a percent of the total federal budget. How many refugees came into the U.S., uh, say, last year? About 85,000 in the last federal fiscal year. Here's another question we saw from our listeners. Why does the U.S. spend money on refugees when there are other problems domestically like homelessness? That's really a question about values, and Tainter told me she doesn't think of it as an either-or situation. She says it should be both and. You know, refugee resettlement is part of what we've done. It's part of our American values. It's part of our generous hearts. It's part of our foreign policy. Um, And so it fills all of these other sorts of purposes. But of course, it's not without controversy. An Obama administration plan to admit more refugees in fiscal year 2017 was Uh, super divisive. One big complaint was about cost. There are limits. We cannot do everything for the world. Uh, We have to consider cost to this country. That was then Senator Jeff Sessions. He's now President Trump's attorney general. 
And we should reiterate that the refugee program is funded by the federal government. Homeless services do see some federal money, but a lot of local dollars, too. The city of Denver, for example, spent $47 million on homeless-related services last year. And coming back to refugees, what are the main service providers in, in Colorado? There are three. Uh, lo- excuse me, Lutheran Family Services, the African Community Center, and the International Rescue Committee. They're based in Denver Metro, Colorado Springs, Greeley, and Fort Morgan. What do they do? They meet refugees on their arrival, set up apartments for families, help with social security cards, help enroll kids in school with language training. Uh, The main objective is to get refugees a job. Tainter says the average length of time from arrival to employment is 51 days. This kind of work ends up costing resettlement agencies about $200 a month for the first year. And refugees may rely on them for up to five years, according to Tainter. I found that figure remarkable that the average length of time of arrival to employment is 51 days. Just imagining coming in from another country and in, what, less than two months finding employment. Who decides where refugees live? Service providers will place them near their relatives if they have them. Otherwise, otherwise, they try to put them where they'll have their best chance for success. What do you mean by that? Uh, so if you have a heart condition, uh, you'll be put somewhere with a good hospital nearby. This is a, a good time to answer another question that we've been getting a lot. How can people help if they are so moved? There are two main ways, donations and volunteering. Rebecca Burris at Lutheran Family Services say, says they've seen a huge spike in both since Trump's executive order. Do they prefer one over the other, donations over volunteering or something? Uh, They'll take both. They can always use money, Burris says, uh, but they need cultural mentors too. That is when you really get to just hang out with a refugee family. You practice English with them. You take them to medical appointments. You teach them how to use bank accounts, how to use the transit system. But mostly it's just a companionship type program um, where you're there really supporting them in the community. Burris says if Trump's executive order goes back into effect, though, they may not need as many volunteers. And they're just kind of waiting to see what happens. We'll stay tuned as well. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thanks, Ryan. Nathaniel Minor, reporter on the CPR News digital team. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And what better way to say I love you than through music? It's not the pale moon that excites me That thrills and delights me Oh no Just the nearness of you This is Colorado Music Hall of Famer Lanny Garrett singing The Nearness of You. She founded the downtown Denver nightclub Lanny's Clock Tower Cabaret about a decade ago and sold her stake in it last year. So what's next for her? Lanny Garrett is here, and because it's Valentine's Day, she's going to share some of her favorite love songs and a love story her own happy valentine's day thank you i love your timing and phrasing in this version oh thank you very much it's it's just such a beautiful song the words are so perfect yeah you chose it for your your list of of 14 favorite love songs that was hard was it why did this one make the list well you know i chose it to record 
so when I was picking out music to sing for my different CD projects, this was one of the songs I've always wanted to sing. I sang it live for a while, and then I decided I wanted to save it for posterity. a recording do you think it has to be perfect that's a really interesting question I'm much more comfortable singing live than I am in the studio because it drifts off into nothingness after you let the notes go when you're live yes I'm very nervous in the studio with perfectionistic tendencies you know, I, I don't know that I have him in the studio because I'm, I'm really a novice when it comes to singing in the studio. So huh. I just I just kind of do it. Yeah. Hope for the best. So we spoke with you shortly after news broke that you'd left your nightclub. Mm-hmm. At that time, you said it, it was not a retirement, but that you wanted some more time for travel and more headspace to be a performer mm-hmm. not, and, and not a club owner. What mm-hmm. have you been up to? Well, I've been taking a lot of time to myself, which I have never been able to do in my whole life. Um, going for lots of walks. Um, I want to. I probably want to mentor another child through Denver Kids Program. I think that's one of my my big time commitments. Um, I got married five years ago, and I'm spending more time with my husband with, on weekends. Fridays and Saturdays were the whole other world dates. So that, we've been right. going out on Saturdays and going out with friends. And that was not possible running not a cabaret. ever possible, ever, when I was singing, just singing and not having the cabaret. Um, and a lot of fans have been calling me, people I didn't know, just their faces in the audience and taking taking us out to dinner and going out to lunch. And I'm going to gain about 40 pounds <laughs> the next year. <laughs> From your website, it does look like you've done a few bigger public performances mm-hmm. since you s- sold your stake in the in the Clock Tower Cabaret, a concert of swing music with your big band at the Broomfield Auditorium. But you've also focused on some smaller private bookings mm-hmm. for now. Uh, you'd also mentioned when we spoke to you some time ago that you were in conversations about a potential Patsy Decline movie. So Patsy Decline is a character of yours in a country music parody uh, she was a regular at the cabaret. Well, there ain't no use in sharing. Let's get down tonight. We'll have fun on board, boy, and we'll do it right. Have some fun, baby, on the way down the line. You've got money, honey, I've got the time. That's in such stark <laughs> contrast to the nearness <laughs> of you. What's the status of the film version of Patsy Decline? Well, it's really uh, just in the talking 
phases. In the 90s, right when I invented the character, we were seriously in discussion about a movie. I wanted it to be like a mockumentary type movie. And then I ran into a wonderful actor-director recently. I saw a film that he made, and I approached him. And so we're just starting to talk about it. So I'll keep you posted. But kind of Christopher Guest-style yeah. mockumentary is what you'd envision. That's what I kind of see, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Patsy Decline, that character, for the uninitiated. Okay. Well, um, if anyone has seen Spinal Tap, uh, a spoof about heavy metal, um, the Dame Edna show was on at the time, mm-hmm. and I was watching Dame Edna, which uh, she's kind of a drag character, a man playing a woman who's very smart-alecky and funny and improv. And I thought, how fun to kind of combine those two things. No one has really done a spoof of a, of a country uh, character. Stock show was in town. I grabbed a band of friends that I knew, and I said, will you back me for a couple shows? And it took off. Oh. It was the most successful thing I've ever done. <laughs> uh, do you miss the late nights? Do you miss the cabaret life at all? Not right now. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I give myself some time, you know, a few months, maybe I'll be clawing and wanting to do that. But I think, I think I'm ready to say, say la vie. Say la vie. Um, Lanny Garrett, I know that you grew up in Chicago. I did. And I read that you turned to the arts at a young age in response to a, a volatile household. I would say volatile is a good word for it. Yeah. I just always was that kid. I just came out of the shoot wanting to sing, dance, and prance around and wear sparkles. And I was always that kid. Mm. That would have happened anyway, but it was also a form of, what, protection or escape? Yeah. I, I didn't do it publicly. I was never, I didn't sing in school or do any of that, but um, I would retreat to my room, you know, everybody's in bed and three o'clock in the morning, I would draw pictures or sing to the records and act out things in my basement in front of the year, mirror with a hairbrush. And that that was my escape. How did it come to be more of a public performance then? Um, I always knew I wanted to be a performer, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I got nerve to go up to a singer in town. His name was Ron Henry, and I lied to him and said I was a singer from Chicago, and I was a waitress in Denver at the time. I'd lived here a couple <laughs> years. I'd moved from Chicago, and he, I was uh, young and uh, had long red hair, and he wanted a white girl to stand in the middle of these two amazing black singer, female singers, backup singers, and uh, he gave me the job. Oh, I've never done it before. Fake it till you make Fake it. Fake it. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, for Valentine's Day, you've chosen uh, 14 of your favorite love songs. You can read the list in full from Lanny Garrett at cprnews.org. I understand that you listen to a lot of Bob Dylan, and uh, you included one of his love songs on your list of favorites. This is Lay Lady Lay. Lay Lady Lay. Lay across my big grass bed Lay, lady, lay Lay across my big grass bed Whatever colors you have In your mind I show them to you and you see them shine Lay, lady, lay Play across my big grass bed Okay, this is a lust song, not a yes. love song, Lenny Garrett. Mm-hmm. I may lean in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> 
what influence did Bob Dylan have on you, do you think? Oh, the first time I ever heard Bob Dylan, it was just my top of my head flew off. I just, the Blonde on Blonde album, I must have listened to a zillion times. Just adored the words and just affected me. Tell me about those early days of performing. So you you kind of faked your way into your first gig. Mm -hmm. And how did that first night go? Did you... Did you pull it off? I think so, because the um, the focus was not on me. The lead singer was Ron, and I was one of the background singers. So Again, two, Ron Henry. Ron Henry. And the two singers next to me were amazing. So I could just kind of move and swing my arms like one of the background supremes and kind of do my thing and get my, my sea legs on stage and uh, watch them and learn and take it all in. And when did you perform for the first time as the headlining act or as, oh. you know, in this spotlight? Well, I went from that band um, and we we were we were the house band at this place called The Warehouse and we opened shows for Ray Charles and Richie Havens and the Four Tops. So it was a pretty good start for me. Where was that club? That was in it was in Glendale and it was a beautiful club, a restaurant downstairs and a nightclub, like 250 seats upstairs. I think it was about mm. like that. It was beautiful and main you know performers big national performers and we were the house band and then I went from there and I joined um, an all female band called Wow Women of the World and we weren't and uh, you, you weren't of the oh, world we were not no we were little girls practically and we <laughs> got booked up in uh, Canada in the Yukon and I will tell you eight young girls in the Yukon are very, very, very popular. Mm. So that was my next thing. And then I came back to Denver after that and started my own band. I think you said that you had opened for Ray Charles mm-hmm. when you were with the band, which was called Pride, that, that earlier yes, we, band. Yes, w- yeah, Pride, we opened for Ray Charles. And then years later, when I was with my big band, I opened my big band and I opened at Fiddler's Green for Ray Charles also. And he's one of your idols, oh, I understand. Totally. Why? He's just, you know, they call him the genius. He is. His voice moves me to my toes and uh, his songwriting and arranging everything. Sam Cooke, Ray Charles, kill me, both of them. Why did you open the cabaret in downtown Denver in 06? Is that right? 06, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had been playing. I had my own um, showroom at the Denver Buffalo Company on 9th was it 9th and Lincoln, 11th and, Li- 11th and Lincoln. And when that closed, I was there for 10 years. And when that closed... I had no stage. So this opportunity came up. I knew that there was um, a space down there. It had been the Rattlebrain Theater. And uh, just kind of held hands and jumped off a cliff. I didn't know my partner at the time. We just got thrown together and signed away our lives and hoped for the best. And it was mostly about wanting a stage to perform on. Mm. And in an iconic spot in Denver, in the basement of the Daniels and Fisher Tower. We like to say the lower level. The lower level. (laughs) The garden level. The garden level. Of the Daniels and Fisher Tower which is like the remnant of a block-long department store that used to be on the Mm -hmm. 16th Street Mall. What live music venues in Denver or beyond Mm -hmm. attract you now? Like, where do you love to go see a show? Oh, boy, I haven't been I haven't been going to that many shows. I've been going out to dinner a lot. (laughs) Right, not not Um, keeping those hours. You know, Nocturne is a beautiful uh, room. It's a a jazz club. It looks like a New York jazz club that's really pretty this is in rhino in yeah Denver, the River that's a North beautiful beautiful little club um you know it's not a club but i just played up at the broomfield auditorium and i it's like a mini perfect concert venue it's darling um 
and I'm talking to the Boulder Dinner Theater. Um, they called and possibly want to do a couple shows up there. Um, that's a really nice space. For those listening uh, who despise Valentine's Day <laughs> and think that this is, you know, a, a greeting card holiday, you must have had some miserable Valentine's Days. Oh, I'm sure I did, and probably we'll talk to you later if we ever go out for a drink. But, um, but you know, Valentine's Day for me was always I was working, uh, doing a Valentine's show for other people. So it would be, I'd look out in the audience and wah, everybody's in a couple, and you know, and I'd go home alone a lot of times. No longer the case. No longer the case. You married a man named Dan Brogan in 2011. He's with uh, the Denver magazine 5280. He started 5280. Yeah. How did you two meet? Uh, originally, we met because we were on the board of Project Angel Heart. He was the president of the board, and I was on the board. And... Delivering meals to uh-huh. people in need. Uh-huh. So that's how I, f- I first met Dan. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, the love of your life, would you oh, say? Oh, no question. Like, n- I've never loved anybody like I love this man. He's just the best, the kindest. I just adore him. I understand. I'm getting all tongue tied. (laughs) (laughs) For the right reasons. I understand that you two have a song, um, the version of Feels Like Home, performed by singer and guitarist Raul Malo. Tell me about this song. Well, Raul Malo is one of our favorite singers, and um, he's the lead singer of the Mavericks. He's made records by himself also. And Dan and I were listening to a Raul Malo record, and Dan turned to me. This song started to mean a lot to both of us, and he said, wouldn't it be great if Raul Malo could sing at our wedding? And I called, and I figured out how to find him, and he sang at our wedding. He sang this song at our wedding. This notion of love feeling like home, what does that mean to you? Well, I think when you find somebody you connect with on all the levels you dream about, you do feel like you've, you're home. You know, we were talking about this a little bit when the microphones were off. And uh, you just kind of know. You feel like this is right. This is where I belong. I have you here with me. making the sound as if you are crying. (laughs) His voice just kills me. If there are aspiring singers listening to us Mm -hmm. who maybe want to make a career of that, would you have advice? I mean, earlier you told us you lied in a way to get get your first real gig. Yes. There is inherent advice, I suppose, in there. I think so. Anything you'd add? 
You know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night who's a singer and performer, and uh, I was talking about how it would be kind of fun to do uh, a workshop for young singers. And I don't read music. I never took voice lessons. Really? But there's, no, but there's something about picking the right song that means something to you and how to deliver the song uh, from your heart that just having a good voice doesn't cut it for me you know mm. I think it's the whole package especially if you're going to be a live performer on connecting and I think it's real important to listen to the words of the song you're going to sing and realize what they mean as they come out as words in, in a song when you're singing it it has to resonate the meaning of the song did your inability to read music make you feel insecure at all in in a world that was filled with musicians mm -hmm. who presumably did yes I, I I've always felt insecure around the musicians that I work with as many of them have worked with me for decades yeah. because they are musicians and when we'd be at rehearsals I didn't speak the language um, so sometimes I would feel intimidated by that but I always felt confident on stage and I think I earned their respect on stage because that was where my I don't want with gift or whatever. That's where I felt comfortable. So um, before we go, I, I just realized we didn't talk about Raul Malo at your wedding. Mm -hmm. How did it go? How did his performance go? <gasps> well, it was really it was really interesting. His manager hadn't told him that that was the song we wanted him to sing. So right before the wedding started, um, he was like, I, I can't do this song. I have a guitar. It's on piano and I don't have the words. And he ran and wrote down the words on a yellow notebook paper, learned it, played it perfectly. And I have the notebook paper with his words oh. written all out of the whole song framed with his picture and Dan's and mine and his signature. And so it's quite a quite a keepsake now. A memento indeed. Yes. Why don't we wrap up with another one of your favorite love songs, You Belong to Me, a 1950s romantic ballad. Uh, this is a recording of you, Lanny Garrett, singing it. See the pyramids along the Watch the sunrise on a tropic island. Just remember, darling, all the Colorado Music Hall of Famer and singer Lanny Garrett. You can see a list of her 14 favorite love songs at cprnews.org. Send me photographs and souvenirs Just remember when a dream appears You belong to me And thanks for spending some time with Colorado Matters. A heads up that I'll interview Governor John Hickenlooper next week, and we'd love to see your questions for him. Email those questions, news at CPR.org. That's news at CPR.org. I'm Ryan Warner. This is listener-supported Colorado Public Radio.